Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. 2020 has been an interesting year and harvest has been no exception. Uh, Depending on what area of the state you're listening from, some of you guys had a fairly smooth harvest and are wrapping up now. Um, Down in my neck of the woods, we've lagged behind pace all season due to weather and the slow drying being slower than normal. So luckily, we seem to have turned a corner here lately as we flipped over to November. And the last week, we've had a really nice window getting crops in, and we're hoping that this is going to continue. But of course, weather hasn't been the only factor that's been making things interesting this fall. The markets have been fairly exciting, too, and we've seen some things that I personally didn't expect. So joining us today to discuss weather and markets are, you guessed it, our favorite duo, Dr. Aaron Wilson and Ben Brown. And so in case we've got some new listeners today who haven't met you guys before, would you each take a moment to just introduce yourselves? Yeah, Elizabeth, Amanda, it's good to be back on. Um, I'm Aaron Wilson. I'm a research scientist with the Bird Poland Climate Research Center, uh, but also climate specialist with OSU Extension. And so uh, weather and climate are my passions and, and love to talking about that any, any opportunity I get. Yeah, and my name is Ben Brown. I work in the Department of Agriculture, Environmental, and Development Economics at The Ohio State University. I serve primarily in a farm management role, uh, doing extension work as well. Thanks, guys, for joining us, and let's get started with the weather. Erin, the last time you joined us back in September, the weather was still pretty dry, and the outlook for harvest was pretty optimistic. Uh, For many of us, though, there was a big switch, and we faced a pretty wet October. So it seemed like it came pretty suddenly. What happened there? Yeah, so it's a a great place to start, obviously, uh, thinking about the harvest season. We, we, you know, I was pretty optimistic back in September. Uh, The long-range outlook certainly looked as though we were going to remain dry. And one of those things uh, that contributed to that is obviously the the dry to drought conditions that we had late summer. And typically we had those dry soils and, and that sort of lingers around for a bit. Um, one of the things that, that if you recall, we, we've been talking about all summer and into the fall uh, on the outlooks is with the tropical weather. It's been a very, very active season. We you know are watching yet another system now approach Florida and, and, and impact the, the southern uh, United States here. Uh, certainly tying 2005 is the most active season. So, you know, as we got into October with the busy tropical season, we caught some moisture from a couple of these systems. Uh, the largest uh, being t- uh, right there at the end of October with Hurricane Zeta, uh, which uh, was yet another strong system to hit the Gulf that really pulled a good two to five inches of rain across the state. So, you know, where we had a, a, a dry September, especially for Northwest and Southwest Ohio, uh, overall for the state, it was average. Um, you know, over the last 30 to 40 days, we've picked up anywhere from six to eight inches of rain in pockets of West Central, Southwest and Northeast Ohio. So that's well over three to four inches above average. Um, and, and so that's really, you know, what put the halt, I think, in, in certainly in the corn harvest uh, throughout much of the, the month of October and just the lack of, of efficient drying. Uh, due to some development issues combined with that wet weather, I think was a big challenge. So, you know, that that's the difference between looking ahead of a, you know, a long-term average conditions over a two, three-month period versus what happens with the weather, which we know it's highly variable and we certainly, you know, got into some of that tropical moisture. So looking from here on out, you know, as some of us are 
trying to race to get done here before Thanksgiving, fingers crossed. What do you see for us? Yeah, so just as quickly as it really got pretty wet there at the end of October, you know, November came in certainly pretty blustery. We even saw widespread snow flurries across the state. We picked up our first uh, lake effect event in northeast counties. We had upwards of two and a half inches of rain, uh, sorry, two and a half inches of snowfall there right at the beginning of November. And then high pressure really took control. And and as you mentioned, that window for harvesting and uh, temperatures, you know, last week really getting up into the 60s and 70s. And uh, hopefully a lot of farmers were able to get out last week and catch up some ground with those with those much drier and warmer conditions out there. As we look through the rest of the month of November, uh, temperatures do look like they're going to remain above average. You know, highs in November are getting really down in the 50s for the most part for much of the state, overnight lows in the 30s. I think uh, we'll, we'll have good opportunities to stay overall a little bit warmer than average through the rest of the month. Um, there, right now, overall, it looks like precip's going to be about average. Um, again, that's about eight-tenths of an inch of rain per week. Uh, but I think there will be plenty of dry spells in between these systems. You know, we're getting into a uh, uh, the time of year where we've got frequent passages of, of cold fronts now coming through, maybe every, you know, four to seven days. That's kind of the, the pacing that we see. But I think there are opportunities even through the rest of the month to see some stretches of dry weather. And if it stays above average, you know, that'll help things dry down uh, even more. I know that's been a bit of a struggle this season, especially with the wet October. Uh, but hopefully this this weather that we've started off with in November uh, is getting us in, in the right direction. So has your outlook further into late winter and spring changed since we talked to you last? Uh, no, I, no. as a matter of fact, I think we've got more confidence. Um, you know, we've seen La Nina conditions, which, you know, kind of a review. If you don't know, La Nina just means that sea surface temperatures in the tropical Pacific near the equator off the coast of South America to the central Pacific Ocean are cooler than average. That affects weather patterns um, overall, especially across North America. Uh, it tends to bring a highly variable and very active pattern across the U.S., especially the northern tier of states, including the Ohio Valley. So what we typically see are wetter than average conditions, especially after the first of the year. Um, not so much, you know, November, December, but once we start getting into January and February, I think our our confidence in above average precipitation is, you know, pretty high. Fairly good, you know, good confidence that we're going to see wetter than average conditions. I know last time we talked a lot about the snowfall, and, and I think most of us on the call would love to see some snow. Uh, you know, generally our winters have been warming over the last 60 years, and, and so snowfall has been some years we've had quite a bit of snowfall, again, because we've got a lot of moisture, and if it's a wet season in La Nina, we get some cold air intrusion uh, from the Arctic, and bam, we can get a decent snowfall. So I'm not ruling out snowfall still. I still think it's going to be wetter than average. We'll probably average out slightly warmer than average for the season, uh, but with some cold spells, perhaps intense cold spells in there as well. Well, I'm looking forward to some snow. Fingers crossed for that as well. But I do hope that those wet La Nina conditions don't persist too late into the spring so that we can yeah. have maybe 2021 is the year that we've been looking forward to. Yeah, certainly that'll be the concern. And, you know, when we get into our winter, uh, our spring outlooks later this winter here on the podcast, you know, we'll, we'll pay a lot of attention to that. Again, there is that possibility that as we head out of March into April, we're going to be starting with those soggy soils again. But 
like you said, let, let's hope for a little bit better conditions and we'll get off to a good start next year. Great, Aaron. Thanks. So switching over to markets, this time of year, typically we're starting to see a downturn in prices as harvest is progressing, but this year they seem to be holding steady and even increasing for both corn and soybeans, which is a little odd. So Ben, what do you think is causing this? Yeah, no, you're exactly exactly right. Nine out of 10 years, we're heading down as in the markets when we start harvest and, and really through the first you know two months of the, the fall period. You know, we're, we're tending to see the lowest prices of the year. However, that's the exact opposite this year. A couple of reasons for that. One, early in the year, we had a global pandemic that just rocked our markets. And so we started from a very low point. We felt like as conditions started to improve back and we could get some some supportive numbers out of, you know, ba- basically gasoline demand from driving, uh, keeping those livestock supply chains open to, to help encourage feed use. We felt like we could we could see some prices start to rebound, and and as a result, we have. Now, there's a couple other factors that I've talked about multiple times throughout the summer uh, as as kind of reasons for some of this price increase that we've seen here in the fall. One, uh, you know, when we look at the amount of money, and we call it M1 money supply that the U.S. government, whether that's through federal stimulus passed by Congress, or whether that's bank bonds, securities that the Federal Reserve has started to roll onto its balance sheet, basically increasing its balance sheet, taking on more debt, that pumps more money into the U.S. economy um, as a result. Uh, again, whether it's stimulus or whether that's through uh, you know, these Federal Reserves and securities. The other thing that's happened is, is we've lowered interest rates to help encourage spending uh, from a government standpoint. All three of these factors do a couple of things. One, it decreases the U.S. dollar. It, it lowers the, the value of the U.S. dollar, making our goods cheaper to the rest of the world. So we do see increases in exports as a result of a cheaper dollar, but the the reverse also happens. When the dollar cheapens, we tend to see products become a little bit more expensive. Again, if you want to buy a product and you've got more com- people competing for that product, it increases the price of corn or soybeans, for instance. Uh, and so we've seen a little bit of inflationary pressure within our commodity markets. And again, until we start seeing you know a kind of a retraction of that M1 money supply, start rolling securities off the U.S. balance sheet again, uh, you know, we're going to continue to see a dollar that's relatively weak and some inflationary inflationary practice pressure in our markets. Now, that's the that's what's happening on basically a technical aspect of it, if you will, uh, or a fundamental. For some of those out there, it's a fundamental concept. But the other big fundamental point that I'd like to make as it relates to kind of this rally that we've seen is our conditions have changed uh, pretty you know pretty drastically. Uh, to a positive for producers since May. Uh, when we were back in May, the expectations for this crop were huge. Uh, we saw you know, a lot of pressure on our prices as a result of what was looking to be a relatively strong carryout, um, large carryout, almost over you know 3.4 billion bushels on corn. And we are looking at a carryout somewhere around six and a half, excuse me, 650 million bushels on soybeans. A couple of things have happened. One, we shrunk production. Uh, we had a dray show in Iowa. We had a drought for soybeans in August and September, as Aaron talked about, that you know helped pull that yield down just a little bit, you know, tightened up our supply. The other thing that happened is we didn't have as much on hand as what we thought we did. Um, and again, this was one of those things that when we were, when Aaron and I were out on the trail last year, I call it the trail, but when we were out on the trail a year ago, one of the things I talked about was to encourage producers to be wary of how much stock 
was was being projected on hand from the standpoint that our crops did not go into the bin last year in good conditions. We had high moisture corn, high moisture soybeans. Uh, a lot of times what that ends up happening is we lose a lot from shrink, some to spoilage. It gets fed, so it still gets used, but it just kind of disappears from the balance sheet. And that's a little bit what we had happen this year is we just didn't have as much on hand. We tighten everything up. At that point, all we need is one big domino to fall in our direction. And we got that domino. China has come in. The demand uh, that China has showed us in terms of purchases uh, in the international market has been the driving factor to give us a very bullish price signal on the fundamental side. So I guess my, my response, that was a very long response to your question, Elizabeth, but I guess the way I would describe it is fundamentals have improved. Um, they are They are strengthening. But then we look at some of these inflationary pressures that we've got over on the monetary side of it. And it's a it's a positive picture for, for producers as we head into the winter. Now, there's a lot of questions about South American production that could ultimately, uh, you know, create us some problems. Uh, certainly, if China demand dries up, that could create us some some problems as well. So I encourage people to think there's a lot of downside risk um, in these markets, but certainly uh, some supportive measures at the current time. Yeah, I really think it's been interesting over the past couple of years because, you know, a few years ago, we were really concerned about the downturn in the markets and what that was going to mean for farmers. But like you mentioned, we had the pandemic. We've had some um, programs through Farm Service Agency that have helped. And you know, now we've been seeing decent prices. And even you mentioned earlier, we're expecting to see record corn yields, um, large soybean yield. So we're not seeing these changes because of our supply. Our supply is still being strong. So I think that's an interesting observation. And you said that I think it's mostly because of the export market and the high demand there. Yes. Uh, you know, we, we have seen uh, demand return back to you know, promising levels. I, I like to look at our international trade, especially with China, kind of with a glass half full approach. Um, some of my fellow economists don't, you know, they look at it through a glass half empty approach. But current administration got us a deal, uh, the United States a deal with the Chinese early in 2020 that China would buy $36.5 billion worth of U.S. ag products in 2020. Um, that's above the $17.5 billion that they bought in, in 2017. A lot of people look at and say, okay, this deal is going to fail because we're not going to get there. Um, you know, it's looking, at least by my estimates, that we're probably going to be around somewhere around $27, $28 billion. Um, so we're going to fall short $8 billion in, in, in sales to China. That's again, that's looking at the glass half empty approach. I look at it and say, that's the most export sales we've ever had to China um, in ag products. That's a promising thing when we think about it in terms of, you know, we've, we've improved our picture. Granted, some of this is just due to demand. China has demand for these products. Uh, we estimate that they're about 20 million metric tons short on corn. Uh, they depend on corn as a food supply. So they're 20, 20 million metric tons short. You look at the rest of the world, the rest of the world is, is rather tight on corn supply as well. Uh, so you look and you're like, well, where can I buy corn? The only answer is the United States. Whether they wanted to buy from us or not, I don't have that answer. All I can say is that they're buying corn from us because they need it. Uh, and we have it. On the soybean side of the equation, we've seen their hog herd in China rebound really quick, um, a lot quicker than most experts would have considered two years ago after the African swine fever outbreak. So we're seeing an improved hog herd within China helping with soybean demand on the feed side. But I want to add another another point. 
China has put huge regulations and stipulations on basically food waste given to to pork. Um, that might not seem like a lot. You know, I sit here and I think, you know, I've got some food, you know, I've got some banana peels over here uh, in a, you know, in a coffee can that, you know, I, I'm not going to take that out. I'm not talking about that type of food waste going out and giving it to the pigs. You know, that's not a whole lot, but it would add up. But I'm talking about restaurant food waste that was sold as a feed source for pigs. And, and we've done away with that to help control virus and disease outbreak. That opens up a huge demand for other feed sources, whether that's grain sorghum, whether that's soybeans, whether that's wheat into feed rations as well. So certainly some positives. Um, again, I, I, whether China wanted to buy from us or not, but they need it. They need the demand. Uh, they need it. And they're buying. At the time we're recording this, we just voted in the election. We still don't know who won. If you listen to the media, we might not know for weeks or months who won. You always say that the market hates uncertainty. So there's a lot of uncertainty in the markets right now. And so there's there's a lot going on here, Ben. Um, there's a great opportunity when this is released going on right now. Do you want to share some information about your Outlook conference for folks that would be interested in getting more information, more detail about how the market yeah. is going right now? Yeah, thanks, Elizabeth. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, every year, the, the College of Ag at Ohio State University, our College of Ag, Food, and Environmental Sciences, we host uh, our annual Ag Policy and Outlook Conference. Uh, normally, this is a single day, but due to COVID this year, we're having to, you know, we're, we're doing it virtually. As a result, that allowed us to spread it over four days and increase our speakers. Uh, so we've got 28 really talented, qualified speakers from across the country and here in Ohio. They're going to cover issues that, frankly, I think are really important to Ohio ag producers and people that work with Ohio ag producers. You don't have to be directly involved in the industry, um, but if you, you know, if your business has some tangible aspect to agriculture, I would encourage you to attend. Uh, you know, we're going to cover four big topics: ag finance and the outlook of credit conditions for our banks. We're going to talk about, you know, policy and what this means under a new Congress. And uh, granted, we we just saw during the election that um, three of our key leadership in Congress, both in the Senate and in the, the House on the ag committees uh, are all leaving, whether that's through retirement or through uh, getting beat in the election. So three of our leaders are going to be new uh, in this next farm bill cycle. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about trade and the macroeconomic policy as a result uh, kind of of the election as well. And then we're going to wrap up with our commodity and consumer outlook on Friday. So again, we've got four days, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, every day from noon to, to two o'clock. Uh, we, we encourage people to come out. We think we've got a lot of really good topics to talk about. Will there be recordings of these posted somewhere for folks that missed the Monday and Tuesday meetings? Yes, there will. So on the uh, Outlook page uh, for the Department of Agriculture, Environmental and Development Economics, so AEDE at OSU.edu, uh, there's an Outlook page that will have the videos recorded uh, and posted uh, on the back end. So once we get those all downloaded and, and cleaned up, we'll get those posted online along with the slides for people to review. And Aaron, you post weekly outlooks for the weather on social media, and we've shared some of your resources before, but um, why don't you give us those social media pages in case people want to stay in touch with you more often? Yeah, you should be able to find my Facebook. Uh, kind of statewide information goes out on my uh, Facebook under Aaron Wilson. Uh, I do have a page kind of dedicated to southwest central Ohio, the tri-state region. That's uh, Dr. Wilson's weather. Uh, you can find some more information at climate.osu.edu. Um, and so those are the primary ways to, to get some more information there. 
Well, we appreciate both of you joining us. Um, you know, it might not be quite as busy of a winter meeting season, but we've got some things planned virtually and I'm looking forward to keeping in touch and hearing what you guys have to say moving forward. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.